Welcome to Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast you for the past 10 years has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the hostess with the mostess, it's Lydia. <laughs> Hi, Christopher, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm very excited to sit down and talk to you about this movie this, this month. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Well, before we go any further and get into that, I want to first thank everyone else for tuning in to this month's episode. Orphaned Entertainment is available wherever you get your podcast and wherever you choose to listen. If you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. And another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites as well as our YouTube channel, where you can watch many of the films that we discuss here on the show. And you can learn how to support the show financially. If you would like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. Let's listen to an Ellery Queen one-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we'll see what we can see in 1930s Framed. Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. This is Ellery Queen with a case I call the Kidnap Caper. I was shocked to learn that a wealthy industrialist named Quigley had been kidnapped. Mrs. Quigley asked me to investigate when she received a strange ransom note in her husband's handwriting. It's said to have their son John bring $200,000 in small bills to a nearby park at 10 o'clock that night. But we don't have a son named John, Mrs. Quigley told me. Very interesting, I said. I believe Mr. Quigley's trying to tell us something. In a moment, I'll tell you what. Have you ever wondered how much of that movie you just saw actually happened? My name is Dan Lefebvre, and I'm the host of Based on a True Story, the podcast that compares Hollywood with history. On each episode, we'll tackle a different movie or TV show that claims to be based on a true story and separate fact from fiction. So when you're ready to learn how much actually happened, search for Based on a True Story in your favorite podcast app of choice or find it over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. In the case of the kidnap caper, the note mentioned a son, John, who didn't exist. I had a hunch the letters J-O-H-N were a code corresponding to numbers. The phone number where Quigley was held. The hunch was right. Listen again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. Framed is an RKO Radio Pictures crime drama directed by George. And I've been fighting for probably for two episodes now on how to say this man's name. And I, I, I actually <laughs> looked it up and I heard someone say Archimbeau. Okay, I'll go with that, Archimbeau. I mean, otherwise we're going with Archimbeau and that's just complicated. <laughs> or Archimbod. Archimbod. <laughs> I'll go with Archimbo. Okay, I'm good with yeah, that. <laughs> the film stars Evelyn Brent, Regis Toomey, Ralph Harold, and William Holden. Uh, no relation to Oscar-winning William Holden of the 1950s and 1960s. <laughs> a couple of those names may sound familiar to you, as we've discussed a film last month with the director and star pairing of Archimbeau and Brent. Uh, we really liked Evelyn Brent and The Silver Horde, even if we didn't care for the film as much, and we were very curious to see her in something else. This will be the third film from director Archambault for the podcast. 
Not only has he directed Framed and The Silver Horde, we also saw his work in the 1931 film The Lady Refuses back in December of 2021. And I actually went back and listened to that episode, and we questioned the strength of the direction of that film as well. <laughs> Evelyn Brent plays Rose Manning, a woman with apparent ties to organized crime. While being questioned by the police about a recent crime, she learns that her father was killed during a shootout with the police. She swears revenge against Inspector Butch MacArthur before leaving the police station. Flash forward five years and Rose is the hostess of an upscale nightclub owned by crime boss Chuck Gaines. A patron of the club is a young man calling himself Jimmy Carter, who is, an, who is obviously smitten with Rose, much to Chuck's annoyance. Rose gets tipped off by a friendly police sergeant that the young man is actually the son of Inspector MacArthur. Rose finds herself torn between her affection for Jimmy and her desire for revenge on his father. Even more complications arise when Chuck's jealousy sets the crosshairs of his maitre d' slash hitman Bing Murdoch on Jimmy. Since we talked about Evelyn Brent last month, let's talk a little bit about prolific director George Archingbow. George began his career on the French stage as an actor and stage manager. He came to the States in 1914 and started working in film at the World Film Company in New Jersey. He made his directorial debut in 1917 with the film As Man Made Her. Over the next 30-plus years, he directed over 100 films before moving to television. He worked primarily at RKO throughout the 30s. Highlights are 1932's 13 Women, and that film stars Myrna Loy as a mixed-race woman who, using a supposed clairvoyant as her tool, manipulates former sorority sisters to kill themselves and each other as payback for, her, for their cruelty while in college. That's really dark. If you, wow. If you think I'm not going and watching that film, you are sadly mistaken. <laughs> right? Oh, my goodness. Another highlight from his early 30s career is The Lost Squadron, a thriller about Hollywood stunt flyers. Beginning in the late 30s and on in the 50s, he bounced between Paramount, Columbia, and RKO. He directed films in many genres, but he is most highly linked to westerns, as that is the genre he almost exclusively worked in for the last decade of his film career. He directed several Hopalong Cassidy films, and finally transitioning to television, was one of the principal directors of Gene Autry's Flying A Productions, where he made several episodes of series like Buffalo Bill Jr., Annie Oakley, and The Adventures of Champion, a series about a young boy who constantly finds himself in trouble and has to be rescued by Champion the Wonder Horse. Yeah, I'm definitely going back and watching The 13 Women. I don't care if it's directed poorly or, or, <laughs> or whatever. That plot is just something I have got to see. And Myrna Loy. Oh, my goodness. Ooh, I yeah. mean, oh, my goodness. <laughs> nope, absolutely. Uh, I was going to dig up a couple uh, items from some of the other actors, but I couldn't find a great deal of information on some of them. And a few of them, uh, let's just say the, the, the end of their story is a little t darker than I really want to go in <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't have any other information besides that. Uh, so this, like I said before, was we really were kind of looking to um, – the last film we just wanted to see more from the people that we saw in the silver horde because we're like we like the people we don't really care for the film we mm -hmm. we wanted to find give give us something give us something else and it just so happens that 
uh, not only does this does this film star Evelyn Brent, but it also had the same director. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, no other uh, comparisons, no other connections. And I think I'm I'm finding myself just like the lady refuses in the Silver Horde. I am still falling into the camp of whether or not Archambault is really is if he's really a, a very strong director. I I think I had some some problems with a little bit of the direction in this film as as much as I had in the other two. I, I think we're going to agree on this. I actually looked up who the director was specifically as I was watching it because I thought there's some unevenness in what happens. It's almost like it's almost like the longer shots, like the whole room shots are directed differently than the close-up shots. It felt really uneven to me. And so it's funny that you say that. I was curious if there was an assistant director that maybe handled certain shots and not others mm, I don't but know. i think i i think i found the answer to that in those inconsistencies we could talk about that a little bit all right great yeah no i definitely agree there, there are moments where i feel like the scene should be more dynamic and it's not even right the very opening scene when we see a young evelyn being grilled by like a half dozen police officers. You better come clean, sir. Who are they? Your old man and whoever. Wait a I suppose you don't know a thing. No, no. Come clean, you little tramp. Come let me alone, will you? I don't know. I tell you, I don't you know. You can't kill a copper and get away with it. Caught him cold, robbing the express office. And they shot him. Didn't give a chance. Where's Chuck Gaines and Bing Murdoch, your father's pal? Well, lay off of me, will you? I don't know. I tell you, I don't you know. You should go to the pen with him for that. It was your old man's gang, Chuck Gaines and Bill Murdoch. You know it. Where are they? Come along, sister. Killing a copper in cold blood. You'll go with him, do you hear? Where's Chuck Gaines? You know his hideout. There should be more than just a camera slowly panning around those people. Now, I agree and I disagree. So I think if this movie were made in 1940 or afterwards, we would have seen close-ups of the men's angry faces demanding answers. And then we would have cut to her reaction on this. I found this very effective because here you have a woman in the middle of five or six men all looming over her and you're kind of looking in from the outside and it gives you a very, and it's a, I think it's a little bit of a downshot toward her and it gives you a very, like, this is a woman who is being set upon by several men. It felt really uncomfortable to me. And it, I think it's interesting, there's a contrast to the scene late in the movie that I think because of that contrast, this scene is actually really effective. Okay. Because here in, in this scene, she's confused, she's frustrated, she's denying that anything is going on. She keeps telling them she doesn't know anything, why can't they leave her alone? <clears throat> and then the later scene, her response is 180 different. And you still get a similar shot, but in this, you don't see her face until it kind of breaks apart and then you can actually see her response, or at least I don't think you see her face. In in the uh, contrasting scene, you see her sitting looking straight ahead. You can see her face from the very beginning. So in this scene, it's like she's out of control. She doesn't have any influence here. And in the contrasting scene, she's very much in control of the situation. So I felt like it was an intentional choice. Mm, and even though it's different than what we would expect from a little bit later films, I think, it felt very intentional to me. And actually, I felt like it was pretty effective. All right. No, I, I can definitely see that that point of view. Whether or not it was really intentional. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I won't argue. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it was intentional or not. But I thought that maybe they got lucky with the shot and it came out as effective. Definitely the setting of those two scenes were, I think it's undeniable, they were set up the same way on purpose. Um, now, whether her, she's just that good of an actor that she was able to 
make the camera read the situation differently because of her behavior in the situation, that's a real possibility. Um, I think as we talk about this, we're both going to agree that Evelyn Brent is a phenomenal actor. Absolutely. I mean, we already have talked about that. No, absolutely. No, she's definitely the, I mean, no burying the lead. I mean, she is the standout of the film. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I, I, at one point, I turned to my husband and I said, if I were going to rate this movie strictly on her performance in the very beginning when she is told her father has been killed, it would 100% get five ovals from yeah. me. Just hands down, five ovals just from that scene alone. No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she is um, a, a really great actress. And she has a, I don't want to say it's an unconventional beauty. I mean, she's not. It is. She's not a traditional kind of beauty. She doesn't have the the cute little nose, the round face, the blonde hair, the big eyes. Right. She does have big eyes, but um, she she is not what we think of as a traditional beauty. But she is beautiful. She's captivating. Oh, yeah. I I really kind of find myself watching this film. I'm thinking. Am I getting a crush on Evelyn Brent? <laughs> I know I did. <laughs> you know, she's she. it's the same thing in The Silver Horde. As soon as she's on the, the screen, well, as soon as they're all out of their big fur coats. Yeah. You know? and, and once you see her moving around in her own environment, she is captivating. And even and, I, and it's interesting. I loved seeing her at the beginning of this movie as an uncertain distraught person because she never presented that in the silver horde right she she always even if she wasn't in control even if she the situation wasn't going the way she wanted it to she always was collected Mm -hmm. and in this i honestly this is where i would have expected her to felt to fall apart as an actor and she doesn't i think she's acting years ahead of her time i think that her responses in 1930 are what we would have expected to see in 1945, 1950. And I think she would stand up to excellent actors today. And now the direction has a heavy influence on, excuse me, I'm sorry, has a really heavy influence on how she behaves in these scenes, I think. But the subtlety of her responses, the part where he tells her, your father's dead, it's just fascinating. She's looking at... um, MacArthur Mm -hmm. and if you watch her eyes are going back and forth between his eyes it is a human action that most actors do not reproduce where there's disbelief and they're trying to determine if the person is lying to them and that's what we do she's looking for his tell yeah Absolutely. And we look and we look between the eyes of the person that we're talking to to see like to gauge if they're telling us the truth or not. And I don't, I, it, I think she's just that good of an actor, but it's something that we don't see in today's movies. Go and watch another movie, a modern movie where somebody's lying to somebody and the other person's trying to tell if it's happening and they don't do that. And it's just a physiological action that we miss in modern acting, I think. And so anytime I see something like that, I get really excited because <laughs> I feel like that's, that's the point of an actor, right? Is to show that real instability and disbelief. No, absolutely. And I've just monologued. Sorry. No, no, absolutely. I got so excited about it. They they should make you believe that everything you're watching is really happening and happening absolutely. to them. Yeah, absolutely. And she is the only person that consistently does that in this movie. There's never a moment where you're thinking she's acting. Yeah, 
And and when she does it, you you never get the feeling that there's that fourth um, that there isn't a fourth wall. Uh, yeah, if I, I'm saying that in the right tense or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so there there's other actors where you feel like they're performing. They're acting to the camera. Yeah. Yes. And Absolutely. and she is just she's acting to the script. You know, this yeah. is the story. And, she's acting to the story might be a better way to put it. Yeah. And I think I think we have to say Ralph Hor- Harold who plays Chuck Gaines is always acting to the camera. Oh, he's practically <sighs> twirling, he's practically twisting the the mustache. He and, <laughs> when he's there's a scene where he's I think talking on the phone and he's oh, buffing his nails on his yeah. jacket. And I asked my husband, I said, do you ever buff your nails on your clothes? And he said, yeah. And I said, like that? And he said, no. <laughs> Nobody. And he does it for like, he does it three different times in the same phone conversation. That seems to be that actor's entire, like, that's his repertoire of blocking. Okay. Okay. Look, do something. <laughs> okay. Nails. I'll clean my nail. Yeah. <laughs> that's all he's got. Yeah. It, yeah. So uh, they, there are... I, it's funny. I think we could very, very quickly get through all of the problems <laughs> with the other <laughs> actors in this. I do feel like William Holden is probably the second best actor in this. But I have to say, I actually really enjoyed Bing in this. In the like, the characterization of Bing was kind of my second favorite character in this. Maurice Black is this particular actor that played Bing. Uh, yeah, he was kind of um, he was kind of fun. You couldn't quite figure out. There's moments where you think that he's a little, a little soft in the head, but then you get the feeling that oh no, yes. no, he actually there's something going on behind those eyes. No, I definitely think he's soft in the head. <laughs> I think that he's he the character thinks he's clever. Yes, like he yes. thinks he's smart, but the reality is he's just. A half step behind everybody else. Yeah, and so he's he's a he's a good thug because he enjoys being a thug. Mm-hmm. He enjoys you know he enjoys the concept of what he does, which is kill people, even if he's bored by who he's killing. Um, but then it was the first time I watched it. I missed the scene between him and Rose where he says, "Hey, I'm crazy about you. Mm-hmm. I'd do anything for you if you just give me a shot." And so the end really. Sp- swung me and I thought where did this sudden passion for Rose from Bing come from and the second time I watched it I caught that scene and I was yeah. like oh okay this makes way more sense um, but but his characterization outside of the I would say mismatched obsession for Rose I actually found him really funny he like and he's not I didn't feel like he was the traditional comic relief like the irritating slapstick over the top it was more just that that half a step behind everybody else was what made him funny. And, uh, yeah, it's, and now I feel like it's hard to explain what I found so amusing about it. But he just he just caught my fancy. I just thought he was a little bit funny. Well, it's it's fun seeing a hit man that has uh, issues with his with his job. Like everyone, everyone, you know, goes to work sometimes and they're just like, I just don't want to do it today. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's that's him. But he's a hitman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he would rather be dressed up as a hat guy or as a hat check boy or something, uh, which is kind I of... I called him a maitre d'. I'm not sure exactly what sure. his role was. We'll call it a maitre d'. That works. Yes. <laughs> uh, and he yeah, has such I, a big kick out of wearing that outfit. And that's... It's so funny. So, I mean, you know, who doesn't love a man in uniform? 
<laughs> so he was my second favorite character. Uh, I think, so I, I got a real chuckle out of when Rose says, uh, is so, something like, is Jimmy out there? And he, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to meet up with somebody tonight. They say, oh, that kid, Jimmy Carter. I just, I just had to throw that out there. It made me laugh. <laughs> it's like, Jimmy Carter. Yes. That's so funny. <laughs> but it's actually Jimmy MacArthur. And he's, oh, vanilla. This is Regis Toomey. And he's so vanilla. As strong as Evelyn is in this film, I think he's probably the weakest of the film. Uh, I would take issue with that because I think Chuck is. Okay. But they're, yeah. Chuck and Jimmy would make a good couple. <laughs> I mean, they would, they, they, uh, definitely rival one another for dullness. <laughs> or for just being, Oh, I don't know how to right way to put this. Jimmy Regis to me is just, he's not convincing when he's trying to like, um, he's having it out with his dad and this and that. And like, man, I am not buying this. I'm glad you told me young Jimmy. I knew you'd understand that. I told her you would. She knew you were going to tell me. She insisted. That shows she's the right kind of a girl, doesn't it, Dad? Oh, she insisted, eh? Young Jimmy, there are two times when nobody can give a man advice. One is when he's drinking himself to death. The other is when he's in love. Or thinks he is. Well, I can always take your advice, Dad. Sure. Uh, <laughs> we're pals, aren't we? It's dangerous, young Jimmy. Well, you try me. I said that I was glad that you told me, and I am, because maybe I can set you straight. Now, don't be fooled, son. She knew all the while who you were. How can you say that, Dad? She told me herself. Rose Manning is framing you to get me. Dad, what are you talking about? Her father was killed by one of my men. She swore to get even, and it looks like she's doing it. That's not true. Her father was killed in an accident. Well, so she told you that, eh? A rose wouldn't lie. Now look here, Dad. Talking like this to your father. Not my father when you talk like that. It's a policeman. I told you it was dangerous to give advice. You're trying to bully me. See, if she's such a sweet girl, why do you always have to meet her at Gaines Joint? Because she has to work for a living and work hard. I'll tell you why you have to meet her there. Now, go easy, son, because I'm going to tell you what everybody else knows. I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me she's Chuck Gaines' girl, but she isn't, do you hear? She isn't. You can stand there and smile and pretend to be so wise, but I know her and you don't. All right, son. It isn't all right. But when you try your copper tricks to dirty her up, to give her a bad name... Steady, young Jimmy. She's clean and fine and and decent. And you and all your frame-up gang can't change that. I love her, and I'm proud of her. You're all I've got, son. You claim she tried to frame me into marrying her. Why, I had to beg her. We'd have been married before this, but she made me come and tell you first. Well, I've told you now. Now, wait, Jimmy. Don't be hasty. More of your advice. We've always been pals, son. Well, we aren't anymore. Jimmy! Pals. Pals with Butch MacArthur. With a copper. So, and I actually thought that was the scene where he shined. Really? Shown. Because no. when he's ma making love, and I'm using that in the traditional sense, there's no nudity in this movie, if you haven't watched it yet. Um, when he's, you know, making love to Rose and telling her how much he loves her and how amazing she is and he wants to marry her, it felt like puppy love. And 
it's definitely how he played it. Yes. Well, they and even I get they, the... they even had him sitting there, you know, with his with the elbows on the table and his hand it, like his his hands up against his face, like oh gee. You know, I'm like, oh, what in the world? And, yeah, and even when she comes back and she's like, oh, you don't really love me. You lied to me about your name. And he doesn't ever feel really sincere. He feels eager, mm. but not sincere. But when he does get into it uh, later on with, with MacArthur, with Inspector MacArthur, his father, at least there felt like there was some energy playing off one another at that point. Um and I did actually start buying it, but I bought it again in kind of the way where, you know, a college-age kid would be defending the nightclub girl that he really likes. Not, I didn't buy it as a deep romance. Like, I didn't buy it as, oh, yeah, these two people are... Like in The Silver Horde, where you're like, these two people need to be together. Like, this is, this is actually... He needs to pick her, right? In this movie, it kind of felt like... Uh, she's going to end up, you know, washing behind his ears for him. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, hmm, not real convinced by this this uh, romance. To step back a little bit towards the beginning of the film, what I thought was interesting, I'm not sure we're really used to seeing this, is we see many characters before we're introduced to the characters. Mm-hmm. We see Rose, you know, being grilled, we don't find out who she is until MacArthur comes into the room. Mm-hmm. We see two guys uh, sitting outside, going, "Hey, you know, they're they're grilling Rose. I hope she doesn't talk. Nah, she's fine." And you're like, "Who the hell are these guys?" Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, as it turns out, it's Chuck and Bing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was just real interesting that they had these pl- players enter the scenes before we knew who they were. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was very interesting. Normally, they you're used to like the 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 sitcom introductions. They come in, oh hi, Chuck, you know, and mm-hmm. welcome to your part of the story. Yeah, or <laughs> quiet down, everybody. Rose Manning is about to come out on stage, and then she comes out on stage, and you know, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really think about that very much. I think I I was thinking back to the Silver Horde if they did that, and they do a little bit. You know, you get. You get a whole bunch of rejections before well, they then get into a fight, right. <laughs> and then they start introducing themselves. But um, well, I guess that's, yeah, I guess that's what I mean is um, is there isn't that standard introduction to these characters. Right. There isn't mm-hmm. the the conversation that then introduces the character. These these characters mm-hmm. are just there. They're in part, you know. Um, uh, MacArthur <laughs> wants uh, Rose to identify Chuck. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, no, I've never seen him before in my life or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, you still don't know his name. You don't find mm-hmm. out his name until about 10 minutes into the five film. Five years later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's literally five years later. When suddenly yeah. he's the, the owner of the nightclub. And, and even mm-hmm. then, um, gosh, then I guess you actually get the conversation between him and Rose. And that's the only way that we find out that this is Chuck and, and that they know each other. And so, it, I don't know, I just found it a little interesting that there wasn't that uh, early on anyway there wasn't that yeah the conversation to introduce the characters i agree i think it's an interesting technique um i do think i wonder if it's not partly because the story isn't even really about rose and jimmy it's really about rose and macarthur it's really about their relationship and you know her her revenge her you know revenge desire against him and um yeah i just i just realized joel mccray it plays a waiter in this. 
I don't need, I don't think he even has a line, but that's really funny that Joel Mark Gray is just in here. He's just stuffed in here somewhere. Is he? Um, From the Silver yeah. Horde, Joel McRae, he's in this one too? <laughs> he's, I missed he's it. He's in it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if this is before that or not, but um, that, it, <laughs> now I gotta look. All right, I'm gonna pause it. I'm gonna actually take a look here. If this is from before the Silver Horde, I don't think it is. This is after the Silver Horde, isn't it? It's oh, they're the, the same year. It's the same year, so it's hard <laughs> it's to say. It's the same year. Yeah, that's just so funny. I mean, it's like a little bit part. I don't know that he even had a line, but he's he's listed here. Anyway, oh, yeah. sorry, well, that just caught to, my eye. According to IMDb, yes, he's a waiter at the casino. It's pretty funny. So I think the relationship, the main relationship in this movie is between Rose and MacArthur. And the resolution doesn't happen until they have their final conversation. Uh, it's not, the, the end result isn't between her and Jimmy. The end result is between her and, and MacArthur. I think it probably I'm reading, I believe I'm reading too much into it. But I think it would have been a really great choice if the director had said, you know what, we're not going to introduce anybody else because really the important relationship in this movie is between Rose and MacArthur. Because it is. That, that is what has to be resolved in this. And she has to, they have to gain one another's trust for this movie to be resolved. Or they have to destroy one another, whatever the ending is going to be. And so, uh, so it would have been, I think, it, it, it's, it is interesting taking it, though, from that standpoint, if the main story is about Rose and MacArthur and not about Rose and Jimmy, I think this becomes potentially a great story. I think that in its, its, in its incarnation, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, it's not a great story, but I can see potential. <laughs> As a person who writes, I can see so much potential for this being a deeper story than it comes out as. Yes, I would love to see an angle on this story where we could see Rose trying her damnedest to do everything she can to undermine MacArthur. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it's just bad-mouthing him when it, when he's up for re-election as, I, I don't, maybe he doesn't, maybe it's not a, a an elected position, I guess, inspector, but <laughs> trying to give him bad press or something like that. And him doing everything he can to try to make things better for Rose mm -hmm. or between him mm -hmm. and Rose because mm -hmm. he does right early on. He's like, I, you know, Rose, I feel sorry for you. And mm -hmm. I, it'd be great if he kept that. And despite everything she was doing, he was still trying to help her. Mm hmm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. What if that would that could be such a phenomenal story. I'm going to just make a quick note here and write that book. And then uh, I'll let you guys all know when it comes out. <laughs> but oh, what a, what a fascinating I mean, for there to be a story about, yes, on the surface, it's a romance between Rose and Jimmy. But re, but in reality, it's about the about Jimmy's father trying to look out for the daughter of somebody that one of his guys killed. Mm hmm. You know, oh my gosh, what a what a phenomenal! Whoever's listening, you guys can take that and run with it. I don't own that storyline, but uh, if you do write that book, let me know because I'd love to read it. I just uh, there's, I think this is the story is convoluted, but it's not convoluted in a way that makes it terribly interesting. All the characters are a little bit shallow. Um, I think Rose, I think Evelyn Brent is just a, an excellent actor and so she's impossible to take your eyes off but if her part had been played by somebody um i'll use the same word a little bit more vanilla i think we'd hate this movie yeah i no, think absolutely. we'd hate every part of this movie i don't think there'd be anything redeeming because they really don't 
they don't do enough with the 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 Rose and Bo- and MacArthur relationship because MacArthur, I think, he comes across as someone who uh, looks down on her mm-hmm. for making the choices that she's made. You know, she wouldn't help him five years ago, and so mm-hmm. he's holding a grudge. Mm-hmm. That's the impression I get. And that's where there's like it, it creates that friction when Jimmy comes and starts talking about how he's in love with Rose and and everything is, and yeah, I just you could have taken that a different direction. I think it would have been so much more interesting. That's in, that is interesting. I think that if you had taken any character in this movie, any character, any of them, uh, there are basically five main characters in this movie, or at least five influential characters in this movie. And if you had given any of them compassion, like if you had given them a character with compassion, then it would have been, it could have been a completely different story. If you had had Chuck actually, actually in love with Rose, right? Instead of just trying to own her, Mm -hmm. you know, like he was, or, you know, if you'd had, oh my gosh, if you'd had being trying to help Rose out, look, I really love you. I get that you picked Jimmy. Let me help you out here. Oh my gosh, what a story that would have been. Oh, I got chills just talking about that. If you had had MacArthur have compassion for Rose or Rose have compassion for kind of anybody in the story, really, you know, and, and, any any character you could have added that feature to, and it would have really really swung the story arc, I think. And without that, without anybody having that kind of altruistic or deep caring feeling for anybody else in the story, it very I think it just it falls flat, which is frustrating because I mean we've already talked about two or three different ways that this could have been a more entertaining <laughs> story than it was without any of that entertaining aspect or that you know kind of deep emotional connection between the characters it ends up just feeling kind of like a hash of every other story about a girl that works in a nightclub falling for a guy she shouldn't but without any real deep chemistry in it no absolutely because there isn't any this movie could use some romance and there isn't any there Mm -hmm. is puppy love is what it feels Mm -hmm. like coming from jimmy and Mm -hmm. bing and chuck like you said just want to own Rose. They want Rose. Mm-hmm. They don't really seem like they're in love. There's no romance. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. just want her as a possession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially Chuck. And, and yeah, being, I think, is like, oh, yeah, a girl to come home to on the weekend kind of thing. I don't think that there's a, a real devotion there. And it is interesting. I think at the point when Rose is telling Jimmy, you know, leave. Chuck is going to show up here. You're going to be in danger. And she says all the things she says to him. I think a real person would have believed her. Jimmy just says, no, no, you're, you're lying to me. I don't believe you. Yeah, you're not telling me the truth. You're just trying to protect me. But I think a real person hearing her say what she said the way she said it would have either said, hey, I respect you as a human being and okay, I'll do what you want or would have been like, oh, wow, wait, everybody else has been telling me that you're Chuck Gaines's girl. Now you're saying it too. Ouch, I guess I have to believe it now. And so there's some, there's some writing holes as well as, I think, directing holes. There's one thing that happens in this, and it, it bothers me. It's still bothering me when um, there's a, another detective that comes in. He's called um, Bert. And I don't know that he, I don't know that he's even 
credited anywhere. He may be. Yeah, but... uh, that's uh, I think isn't that Schultz, uh, Sergeant? Uh, that's who. Oh, that, that's who tips yeah, him off. Yeah, yeah. That's who tips her off about Jimmy, right? Yes, yes. And it, he comes in, and he gets in Chuck's face, and they are literally their noses are six inches apart. What can I do for you, Sergeant? Well, you could tell me who killed Johnny the Goat. But you won't. No. You don't tell me. Something happened to Johnny? Well, Johnny was one of my best friends. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, Chuck, that's great. You recited that just lovely. You'll excuse me if I don't bust into tears, won't you? But you know, Burke, that Johnny and me was great pals. Sure you was. And you'll send him an elegant wreath to his funeral, won't you, Chuck? Like you sent to Tony Rabina. Being friends with you is kind of fatal these days, ain't it, Chuck? You're a pretty sassy cop, ain't you? And I got a good mind to slap you right in that loud mouth of yours. Oh, <laughs> if you only would. I give a month's pay to have you try it. But you won't. <laughs> and this is one of those longer shots that I was talking about where it's real static. And he comes in and he says, hey, Chuck, you know, whatever, whatever. And I guess he's supposed to be like gruff and intimidating, but it doesn't come across as gruff and intimidating. And then they kind of spread apart a little bit. And Chuck says what he says. And then again, Bert gets like leans down and gets again his nose like six inches from Chuck's over the over the desk and it's just this weird interaction and and then later MacArthur does the exact same thing MacArthur comes in saying oh you can't let my son in here I'm gonna shut your place down but he comes in and he walks in and in this relatively wide shot he gets six inches away from Chuck's nose again. And I thought, now, I don't believe for a second that this is how men tried to intimidate each other in the 1930s. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I, they don't, this is not how men try to intimidate one another now. There's no way this is how they tried to intimidate one another in the 30s. And it comes across as so awkward and wooden that it's, that's what I was thinking. I wonder if there was another director that directed these wider shots and just was like, oh yeah, okay, get in his face, get closer, you're trying to threaten him. Mm -hmm. And then that was the only stage direction. <laughs> and so they end up so close, you're like, are they, are they like, are they like gonna kiss? Like, <laughs> what's going on in this situation? I'm confused. Neither of them looks impassioned, neither of them looks angry. They're just really close. Those moments you feel like you're suddenly watching a stage play because yes. of the, the wide shot, where a shot where maybe something closer and a little claustrophobic would have been better yes yeah 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 it's just it's such a it, i don't think anybody else does it in in the movie but two people do it to chuck and it just is so odd it just is so odd so yeah there's some directing holes there's some writing holes there's some acting holes <laughs> this is a holy movie i will say there is at least one or two good moments with chuck Throughout the film, he's playing himself as the, the the cool, confident, tough guy. But when which things, I don't buy. Yeah. Well, when things really kind of start hitting the fan towards the end, he's at his desk and kind of like he's he's giving everyone that look like, "Would you please shut up?" You know. 
<laughs> because the police are there, you know, things are not looking good for him. Things are happening and you got other people around him acting tough and he's just he he, he has that look of like this is not helping. Would you please mm-hmm. I I just don't. <laughs> I do, there are, I do there are, like that. Yeah, there are a couple of little interactions in this that are interesting or amusing similar time i think uh they they grab um being and they haul him in when they're throwing over his joint and he and chuck kind of get shoved in the same direction and chuck gives them a look like did you did you get it done and being like kind of does the shrug like i didn't have time to do it and chuck like pulls like he's like gonna smack him or something like oh you idiot and it's all without words and it's it's entertaining and I wanted there to be more of that. I wanted there to be more body language communication, yeah. but it relies so heavily on the dialogue. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm flapping my hands in yeah. exasperation here. <laughs> I do wonder if the, this story could have been told better by a larger studio with a bigger budget. Mm. I, I feel this film has some of the same issues that like the silver horde had where there's so much of the story happens off screen. Mm. Uh, there's action and rather than in the silver horde, you know, the romance all happens off screen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Evelyn's character. I don't remember his name. Joel McRae's character, right? Joel McRae's character. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they spend 10 days getting to know each other off screen. And we found that mm-hmm. really frustrating. This one <laughs> it's, Oh, I'm going to go uh, kill this guy. I'm going to beat this guy up. Let me go in this other room and shut the door. Yes. Up. <laughs> yeah. You don't see a struggle. Oh, you just hear a gunshot. That's true. Um, well, and, and I gotta say, though, I, I have to speculate. Maybe that was the better choice, considering Evelyn Brent's reactions may have actually been more convincing than the fight between those other characters. Possibly. Based but on even, what I've seen. <laughs> even, the, even the hit that we quote-unquote see outside of Weber's yes. drugstore, yeah. it's like, oh, blah, blah, and he, then he walks off camera, you hear a bunch of gunfire, then he stumbles back on camera and collapses. I'm like, yeah. wait, what the yeah. hell is that? No car zipping by, nobody hanging out of a window, no no shadow flashing past as the car goes by, nothing. It just is, yeah, it does, it, it is funny, you said a minute ago that it feels like you're watching a stage production, and it does, everything in this feels like it's being directed on a stage production. I don't want to say no camera craft, but I think there's very little camera craft in it. Um, I think that the only moving shot I can remember, and it probably isn't the only one, but the only one I can remember is in the beginning when all the police are surrounding Rose and mm-hmm. are trying to, or detectives or whoever trying to get her to, you know, confess to whatever they're trying to get her to confess to. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's very, it's very bland. There's not, there's, there's no innovation in it. She's got 30-foot ceilings in her apartment. It doesn't yes. even feel like a real apartment. Amazing curtains, though. Those are the longest curtains I've ever seen in anybody's house. <laughs> there is one shot where the camera, like, forgets to move or moves a second too uh, too late. I think it, mm-hmm. it's in one of the scenes in Chuck's office where he starts mm-hmm. to walk towards the door and the camera doesn't move he almost runs to he almost hits the edge of the frame before the camera suddenly shifts <laughs> so over <fun>. yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, 
So, um, yeah, I don't think we found a, a, you know, deep gem here <laughs> with this one, except for Evelyn Brent. Again, she proves herself absolutely captivating. And anytime she's the focus on the screen, it, even at the part where she's like fake crying because she thinks that Jimmy or she's saying she thinks Jimmy doesn't really love her and it feels like she's fake crying. You still are like, is she fake crying? Is she real crying? Ah, oh, okay, okay. She's trying to make him feel guilty. Yeah, yeah, no, it's working. So, yeah. I, yeah. Oh. Hmm. No, she is great, and she's she's the one actress who really, she's really good at conveying all the different emotions or attitudes that the character needs to. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's it, she's upset, you believe it. You think she's upset. She's happy. You believe it. She 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 looks happy. She's um. Mm-hmm. Uh, distracted you know because she's she's thinking and when she's talking to chuck and chuck's hey you got me yeah i got you yeah (laughs) Mm. oh yeah when he first comes in and she's fixing her hair all of her reactions are so natural and and his are so wooden (laughs) it's oh it's yeah yeah even the most subtle stuff when she's sitting there she's at her dressing table she's still effectively in her undergarments or whatever just yeah with a robe and and changing, yeah. she doesn't have a problem with Chuck coming in, but, you know, as he does, you know, she pulls her robe to cover her legs. Yeah, and, and he leans down to say something, and she just casually stands up and then keeps fixing her hair and everything. And yeah. But she definitely moves away from him. Like, yeah, it, there's, she's, we can keep saying how much we like her for yeah. another, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> it is only a 60-minute movie, 62 minutes, I think. Yep. And so it's a, it's a very short, short movie. And there's and it has a short plot to match. Yeah. There's yeah, not a lot of story. No, I'm afraid. I, we wish there were. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I, it doesn't feel slow. I'll give it that. No, it clicks right along. I mean, you, you get in and get out pretty quick, and there's never really a moment where you're thinking, gosh... How much longer is this or mm-hmm. anything? Um, so it does a pretty good job at that. And the, the time that it fills, it, it fills and keeps you pretty well occupied, I think. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you, you wish this was an hour and a half and you wish it was a slightly different story. And it feels to me almost like it would have been a really good first installment or sequel or something like if you had it like if now of course gosh we're we're also used to you know Netflix series and things where you've got eight 1 hour episodes and this feels like a 1 hour episode in Evelyn's life and if there had been more of them I would love to watch them because I would keep watching her I think she's fantastic and and very engaging but it doesn't feel like there's enough of a story to make like a full really engaging movie out of it I would be very interested to watch the, you know, the Rose Manning story uh, miniseries. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, what would you call it? Oh, you got to have you got to have a play on her name. Something about Rose. Mm. Or the what do they call her? She says, I'm going to go transform myself into the queen of the something. The queen of the dance floor or something. The queen oh, of the yeah. I don't remember what she stage. said. Stage. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I, you do feel like this is a short period in her life, even though it's supposed to span five years. It's kind of a. I I don't buy her and Jimmy getting married and happily ever after and all of that. No. I would rather see her. Maybe she maybe she marries Jimmy, 
And then MacArthur says, you know what? You know all these people around town. We want you to come work for us as an undercover detective. Oh. That'd be cool. <laughs> Rose Manning, undercover cop. Undercover. <laughs> Undercovers. Rose between Ooh. two thorns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, sorry. My brain went very innocently in a very innocent floral direction. <laughs> as it should. <laughs> as it always does. <laughs> that is really interesting. No, I love... Okay, let's keep this game going. What would Rose do next? <laughs> uh, to submit your ideas, go to orphanedentertainment.com. <laughs> All right, so should we go ahead and rate the film then? I think so. I think that uh, it's time... I enjoyed this, I think, overall more than The Silver Horde, but I still can't go any higher than... I think we gave Silver Horde threes, and I really I can't go any higher than that for this one, too. Just because of... Just, before, just because of all the things it's lacking. You know, it mm-hmm. needs a little stronger cast to go along with Evelyn Brent. It needs a little bit more uh, intelligent story. And it just it doesn't have those bits. It's it's a very simple film with a very standout star, mm-hmm. and so I think a three is fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I'm I'm gonna say that I liked it less than the Silver Horde because I at least believed the romance in the Silver Horde. I didn't necessarily believe that it was the romance to end all or romances, but uh, this with this one, it I just. Man, I feel like next week Evelyn's going to look at Jimmy and say, oh, you're just a kid, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and so there's just, the, it, it feels like this is her bid for freedom from all of the junk she's been through, not actually the happy ending that she's going to end up with. I can't give it more than two stars, and both of those two, Othels, excuse me, belong to Evelyn Brent because she's everything in this movie that makes me want to watch it. Despite the feather dress. Yeah, I don't know what the hell that dress was in the beginning. Was that feathers or fur? I don't know what it, it was. But totally it was... feathers. And and tell me it didn't remind you of the the feather duster in Beauty and the Beast, in the animated <laughs> Beauty and the Beast, because that reminded me of that. That uh, Oh, her outfits through this, the dressing robe she has at the end, that long black thing with the huge sweeping sleeves. Oh, it's wonderful. I loved it. So, I mean, maybe, maybe half of those Othels actually go to her wardrobe in this. But it, there's a scene I want to just mention real real briefly where she gets thrown down uh from like a platform onto the ground i don't know if it was a stunt double or her but it was convincing Uh, i think it was her thrown on the ground i do too and she comes up and her hair is a mess it just is probably the best scene in the whole movie just because she sells the heck out except for the very beginning she sells the heck out of it I'm glad you uh, reminded me of that because I audibly gasped when I Mm -hmm. saw that. I think I did both times I watched it. (laughs) Um, it, 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 And uh, hopefully, of course, she wasn't hurt. She gets up pretty quickly. But um, yeah, yeah, she she is phenomenal. And I think, I don't think, I just, I want to just keep looking for her. I just want to keep looking for her. I just think she's phenomenal. I, any movie that you see with Evelyn Brent in it, it's worth watching just to see her in it. It may not be worth watching for any other reason, just like this movie. But <laughs> it is worth watching it for her. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I look forward to seeing her and more stuff in the future. Yeah, I same here. I, I, I do look forward to her. We could easily turn this into the Evelyn Brent podcast. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Well, now we've got a new idea. <laughs> uh, she's definitely become one of my favorites. Uh, it's turned into the, uh, oh, shoot, now I can't think of his name. I was just going to say it. It was in uh, Algiers. Charles Boyer. Oh, gosh. Oh, can uh, you imagine Evelyn Brent and Charles Boyer in a movie together? Whoa. That would be probably my, like, favorite film that has ever come out of the 1930s. <laughs> that would be incredible. That would be incredible. They're they're independently so good mm-hmm. that I, can you imagine seeing them in something together? Wow. Now I, I just want to dig and see. <laughs> like, oh, ooh, ooh, maybe. I, probably not. But, gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? If we find it, if you know of one, let us know because we would – definitely watch that a little cross research uh yeah, yeah i just actually <laughs> recently uh re-watched algiers just because uh. yeah but yeah and i could see myself going back maybe not the silver horde but i could go back and this one was just this nice easy kind of lazy watch i could go back and watch this i could see myself going back and watching this one just because i have a, an hour to spare and i will just decide you know what I think I want to watch Evelyn Brent. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I think if I were going to watch one with her again, it would be the Silver Horde. I liked her character in it. I thought she was a cool, tough lady. Um, I liked her being the older woman, not old by any means, but no. you know, a little bit older. Um, I guess because I'm a little bit older now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Man, she does I, have some really great moments in the Silver Horde. I I will have does. to admit. Yeah, that is one she thing does. she does not have on this one is she doesn't have that really like in your face and Zing. I'm going to scream and bring bring the yes. house down moments like she yeah. does in the other film. She doesn't. She doesn't. But she genuinely I think she acts. I said she's acting the hell out of the scene at one point. I think at the very beginning I said she's just acting the hell out of the scene. Mm-hmm. And she she does. I, she honestly I don't think dials in a minute of this movie. I don't I don't think she I don't think we have seen her dial it in on screen at all. No. And there is not, not an actor in this movie that doesn't dial it in at some point. Uh possibly except for Bing, but his character is so let's call it fluid that it's kind of hard to pin down. <laughs> but gosh, so, officially, uh, if you would like to write into the Evelyn Brent fan club, send your letters to Orphaned Entertainment. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I guess that's going to do it for this month. Um, that will do it for Framed. Uh, Lydia, thank you very much. It's a lot of fun. I hope we find something more uh, in, in the future. I, I don't want to like focus in on and never get away from Evelyn Brent, but I do hope <laughs> she comes up again. Or, or yeah. you know, and I, I can see myself finding films, whether in public domain or not, if I find them available. Uh, I'm definitely going to give them uh, a watch with her in it absolutely there are other ones out there uh there are other ones with different directors by the way um different directors different writers that might be stronger and i i think i'm in the same boat with you if i run across something that's got her in it i think i'll i think i'll knowing me i'll say why do i know this lady but (laughs) but i'll absolutely be delighted to see her again in something 
So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. I also had fun talking about it, and I am looking forward to next month. We'll be back in 30 days to talk about another film. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Please do follow that link in the show notes to all the social medias and stuff, and uh, send us an email if, you, if you've if uh, you watched the film, if you watched The Silver Horde, if you were familiar with Evelyn Brent, uh, if you're familiar with George Archambault and how to properly say his name, <laughs> <laughs> do get in touch with us. We will talk to you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.